Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. What's up, football-loving maniacs? This is Devin Kerr, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we have a great show for you today with two Phoenix Rising games to review, a look at Phoenix Rising's latest acquisition, Darren Maddox, the standings and highlights from around the league, a fan story with the difference, and a preview of our next game against Tacoma Defiance. It's been a busy week for Rising, who travelled all the way up to the San Francisco Bay Area on Wednesday only to get beat 3-1 by Oakland Roots. They were back home on Saturday for a game against New Mexico United. It was a thrilling duel that ended with a 3-2 win for Rising. We'll take a look at both of the games and for the New Mexico game we're joined by Andy Hageman who is the voice of New Mexico United. Andy is a sportscaster, a sports analyst for ESPN Albuquerque. If you ever find yourself over there you can hear him on 101.7 FM, The Team. Kelly brings us the USL standings and highlights. Spoiler alert, Rising is back on top of the USL with 41 points on the season and it's going to be hard to find highlights any more exciting than the roller coaster ride that Rising fans have found themselves on this week. One of the biggest news stories from Phoenix Rising is their acquisition of Darren Maddox who is in as Rufa Dadashov's replacement. Darren is a 30-year-old right-footed striker from Jamaica. Like several other Phoenix players, he played in college for University of Akron. He started playing professionally in 2012 and played for MLS teams Vancouver Whitecaps, Portland Timbers, DC United and FC Cincinnati. He spent 2020 with Almarek FC, a team playing in the Premier League of Sudan. Let's take a minute to learn a little about Sudan. Sudan is a country in the northwest of Africa. It's on the Red Sea, bordered by Egypt to the north and Ethiopia and Eritrea to the south. Their population of 44.9 million people take their football very seriously and Almarek is one of the top teams in the country. They currently stand at number two in the Sudan Premier League. I saw Darren Maddox play for DC United in June of 2018, just before Wayne Rooney, legend of English football, joined the club. According to FBREF.com, for Wayne Rooney's every 90 minute of play, he scored 66% of the time and that was one of Wayne's best scoring stats in his career. There was one player on that team who did better and that was Darren Maddox who scored 71% of the time per 90 minutes. It was great to see Darren take the pitch for us this weekend. He had two touches of the ball, with each one being a shot on goal. Didn't quite make it, but I'm hungry for more. Okay, Phoenix Rising family, let's kick things off with a background story from our guest, Andy Hageman, aka the voice of New Mexico. I asked him about his love for the game, how it started, and here's what he said. I've been following football since I was about four years old. Uh, for some reason, I fell in love with a team called West Ham. I believe that was because there was food in the in the in their name. <laughs> and my my story basically was when I was ten to twelve years old. My father took me to a couple of games. He wasn't a football man by any stretch. And then when I was thirteen, I had a paper route, and I could go to Upton Park in East London every week on my paper route money. I could buy the train tickets, the underground a program, a burger, and a ticket for the game. And that was it. That was my week's wages. And I did that about 200 times over a couple of years and uh, just fell in love with it. And so I've been following them ever since and I could never change. But since coming to New Mexico, I didn't start seeing, I didn't, I didn't go to many of the early games in 2019. I just thought it would be second-rate football. You know, I'm used to watching Premier League football, so it's bound to be rubbish football. And I went to one game and I thought it was fantastic, except for the officiating. I thought the officials on the night I went first, I thought, if that's the standard, I'm not going to go. But the second game, believe it or not, was the Phoenix game. I think, I think it was the 24th of September. We were 2-0 up. And uh, Calistri came on in about the 65th minute and scored. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, we'll be lucky to come away from here with a draw because Phoenix are all over us like a bad case for Lexma. 
And then Calistri scored in the 90th minute to break our hearts and give you guys a 2-2. Now, I understand there's a lot of so-called hatred between fans and a lot of banter between the two organisations. But at the end of the day, you know, when the game's over, we all should be having a beer together in the bar afterwards. And, and you know, we have a similar sort of rivalry with El Paso. Um, but as I say, for me, it's just frustrating that the jigsaw that we put together in the, in the close season hasn't quite gelled the way it needs to be for us to be able to perform at the level of rising in El Paso. Okay, Phoenix Rising family, we're going to talk to Andy in a little while about that New Mexico game, but first we're going to go over and talk to Kelly about that game that everybody wants to forget, the Oakland Roots game where we lost 3-1. My name's Alex. I am a member of Los Bandidos Football Firm, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Wednesday, August 25th, Phoenix Rising traveled to the wild and windy hills of Livermore, California to play Oakland Roots. Kelly is with me to talk through the game which ended badly for Rising as they suffered a 3-1 loss. Unfortunately, this also ended the team's 10-game unbeaten streak. We're going to start out by talking about the lineup as it was a very different lineup than what we were used to. We saw players taking on positions that they have not played in prior to this game. So, Kelly, talk to us about how you felt about that lineup on Wednesday night. Sure. So, I didn't feel great about it. Moving into this game, I think we kind of need to set the stage a little bit before we start this conversation. So, yes, Phoenix Rising was on a 10-game unbeaten streak, and that sounds like a good thing. But I think a lot of us know Phoenix were in what many people were describing as a slump. Hard to understand that if you're not losing, but certainly we can all agree we're in an offensive slump, having a very difficult time finding the back of the net. We're coming off at this point of three draws. Now contrast that with the Oakland Roots. So they were really in a wonderful run of form for themselves for their season. They hadn't lost in four. They were back home after three games away. And if they were to win this game, which we've already spoiler admitted that they do, that's going to move them out of a last place in the tables. This is huge for them. They've sat at the bottom of the table for almost the entire season. So this is to them as serious as any playoff match could be. Also, they have many players that are back into full fitness who they haven't had throughout their difficult early season. So this is a team that arguably was on fire. Compare that with Phoenix. We're playing away. And now all of a sudden we have six significant changes in our lineup over our last game, which by the way, was a difficult game, nil nil against Sacramento. So when I saw this lineup, I felt very uncomfortable. Now I know what a lot of people will say, Hey, we're playing away. We've got a Wednesday game. There's three games in two weeks. That's really challenging. You have to rest some of your players full respect. Totally agree. Would I have rested all of our best players from different parts of the field at the same time? Definitely not. Now, no one looks to me for suggestions on the lineup, but this really made me uncomfortable. Like you mentioned in the opening, we've got people not only that aren't that aren't our starters, but we've got starters playing out of position. So I didn't love it. We can get a little bit more, you know, we can get deeper into who was playing where, why, and how that felt. But, you know, the result also in hindsight kind of speaks for it as well. Phoenix just really never locked in and played their game. And to me, that's because we didn't have our starting 11 on the field. Now it was mentioned that, hey, you might not have your starting 11, but you've got the deepest bench probably in the USL. So you have really high quality players on the field. That's really not enough. If you have people out of position, if you have people that aren't used to playing each other, it's going to make it really hard, especially in what I would consider a very hostile environment, knowing what this team has at stake. So in case you missed it on Wednesday night, here's what the back line looked like. Ben Lunt was between the sticks, left full back Ryan Flood, right full back Darnell King, and then our two centre backs, Tate Schmidt and Manuel Madrid. Kelly, what was unusual about that? We love Ryan Flood. We want him in the starting lineup often, but usually that is in replacement of Tate Schmidt. Instead, we see Tate Schmidt slotting over and playing center back. He certainly hasn't played center back for us on Phoenix Rising. And he certainly hasn't played center back paired up with Manuel Madrid, who we have not seen except I think for one other game. 
Um, and, you know, he had a little bit of a rough start in that game. So this is a very different back line than we're used to seeing. Right there, I feel a little bit uncomfortable. As I mentioned, Oakland Roots has some players back in full fitness. They've got an extremely tall, extremely effective Bokila. Um, and they also have their captain, Val Fall very tall. So now when you're looking at set pieces, when you're looking at that intense attack from Oakland, which they're capable of, as we've learned, now you've substituted some height out of there by losing Musa. And you've got someone who I would say is playing out of position with Tate Schmidt. In the midfield, some surprises. We had Joey Calistri, we had John Baccaro, and we had James Musa. Kelly, how did you like that midfield? I didn't like it. (laughs) And you know, Honestly, I, I wish I could tell everyone this. I promise I had these thoughts before the game. You know, hindsight is certainly 2020, and it's easy to look back and say, oh, I think this went wrong. But really, in general, on paper, I don't love that midfield. We've got Musa, who we know has some experience playing in the midfield, of course. But, you know, we've taken out Kevin Lambert, who has been extraordinarily productive for us in that midfield. Now, you've got a new back line who is not used to playing together. And now you've taken out as well someone who is a, who is really like a key component of your defense in Kevin Lambert. So yeah, you've moved Musa up there. You've still got some height in the center, but you've lost height in the back line. And now you've got someone who to me is playing out of position. Additionally, you've got John Becker, which is fine, but you've got Kalistri in there. Now we know Kalistri is extremely versatile, extremely adaptable, but having him in that midfield, again, that's not somewhere where we've slotted him in this year. And we've got him playing with Becaro and Musa. These aren't necessarily people that are going to be able to, you know, really own that midfield that they're not used to playing with, with each other either. So I don't love the Musa addition and I don't love um, the Kalistri edition either. I think we've got, now we're looking, building on that back line with some people out of position and we've got some people that aren't used to playing with each other. And now we've got the same thing moving forward into that midfield. Moving up to our forward line on the left, we had Prince Sadie on the right. We had Ivan Gutierrez and up front David Agbo. How did you like that setup? Didn't like it. <laughs> now, again, I really want to emphasize these are all extraordinarily players who have experience and who are fantastic at their craft. So let that be just my blanket statement. That said, we know we lost Solomon Asante to a hamstring pull. Hopefully that short-lived injury. Um, however, he is a key component in our attack. We've just talked about how we've kind of broken up the defense a little bit. We've kind of put some unknowns into that defensive strength. And now when we're looking at the offense, I'm leery about changing that up and, you know, removing Santi Moer, who is tried, true, and tested. Yes, he's had a little bit of challenge in the last couple of matches scoring and making his mark, but so has David Egbo. So you've got Solomon Asante out of there who, you know, some of this isn't just their prowess and their skill. It's also the consistency that they lend to the team. So now once again, you've got a back line that's looking a little scrambled. You've got a midfield that's looking like a different shape. And now you're changing up the forwards. Great to see Gutierrez. I don't know him very well. I haven't seen much of him. I think he'd only had like 15 to 30 minutes on the season. He comes to us from uh, Los Dos, where he had a very successful season with them. I'm sure he's fantastic, but you know he's untested and he does not normally start in that starting 11. Without Solomon Asante, I would have wanted Santi Moar in there. Um, you don't have Quinn for the distribution. And so this is just really a lot of unknowns and it's going to make the team have difficulty playing like Phoenix Rising. Why? This isn't our standard Phoenix Rising. Let's move on to the flow of the game, Kelly. And I really appreciate everything that you're bringing to the conversation so far. In the first 10 minutes, possession was ours and we possessed in their half. Oakland played a low block, a tight defensive structure that tempted shots from Musa, Kalistri and Egbo. When Phoenix didn't have possession, they were playing a high press, putting the Oakland defense on high alert, but Oakland stayed strong and didn't concede a goal. I should also mention that in addition to a lot of attack from players, Play, there were a number of dangerous corners that almost resulted in goals for Phoenix Rising. Despite the attack from Phoenix, the two most ambitious attempts were from Oakland. In the 20th minute, Manuel Madrid had to put his body on the line to save a goal, and remarkably, Darnell King did something very similar five minutes later. In the 36th minute, Flood squared up with an attitude like he had had enough and was just going to take it to the net, and he almost did, not quite. 
In the last 10 minutes of the first half, momentum found itself with Oakland Roots. They had the possession, they had the opportunities, and in the 43rd minute, they were successful. Oakland Roots launched an attack which ended with their captain, Fall, finding the net. Moments later, we almost saw David Egbo answer it with a header, but it was off target like so many attempts in the first half, and we went into the half down a goal. Kelly, what were your thoughts on that first half? Yeah, the first half was very challenging. You know, I think we saw what I kind of anticipated we would see given that new lineup from Phoenix Rising. You know, we had a lot of players that were definitely trying to prove themselves having gotten the start. So we saw some individual performances that were certainly, I guess energetic is really the best word that I have for it. They weren't necessarily effective, but they were definitely trying their hardest. We saw some shots coming from unexpected places, you know, which was really exciting and is what we've been wanting to see. Um, we, we just didn't see a lot of players linking up and we certainly didn't see anything effective or polished in that final third, you know, in two different instances, the commentators mentioned that Egbo was served a ball on the platter. Now, it's difficult. Any one of us can make an error. But when you are the point man, when you are playing as the number nine, when you are the person that we're really counting on with those crosses, you know, some of those have to land in the back of the net at some point. So we saw a bunch of missed opportunities. We saw some balls ballooning over. And we saw different players that should have the experience to put their head down, put their laces through it, you know. In the first half, we only had, I'm sorry, I'm not looking at the stats, something like 10 shots, only two of them on target. Um, it was it was pretty unimpressive. We weren't clicking. We had some really difficult turnovers in the back line. So we weren't there defensively and we weren't there offensively. In the second half, we saw another goal from Oakland Roots. A lurking Jose Hernandez found himself in the right place at the right time and blasted the ball into the back of the net to put Oakland up 2-0. That goal was answered minutes later by King, a beautiful volley, possibly one of the best rising goals of the season, and by the 60th minute, we were feeling that it was anybody's game. But it wasn't Rising's night, as Ariel Mumba, for Oakland Roots, hustled to assure his team of the win. There were attempts following that goal from Mumba, attempts from Egbo, from Moore, from Quinn, but nothing could be done, so the final score was 3-1 with all the points staying in Oakland. In the 80th minute, Egbo was in the box and had a, a fantastic opportunity. Um, he was three yards out, but he blasted it over the bar. So not a lot of good takeaways from that second half. Kelly? You know, I think we should just take a couple of seconds to talk about those goals. The second goal, which basically started and, and set the tone for that second half, uh, you mentioned it was by Hernandez, right place, right time. You know, at this point, we really should have realized that they were pretty dangerous on the counterattack. That was a sloppy turnaround on Phoenix's side, and they really capitalized on it. We weren't marking up in the box the way we should have been and the way the first half should have taught us that we needed to. You know, they were extremely um, thorough when it came to those shots on goal. You know, there are several instances where they took a shot, they missed, and someone was there to take the second shot. We saved it. Someone was there to take the third. There were a couple of different instances of that. We really needed to be playing much more defense as a team. We needed to be man marking. So uh, King's goal was absolutely incredible. We saw a beautiful throw by Flood, not to be underestimated. He basically could serve up a corner kick from the sideline. That was lovely. Headed on by Musa. You mentioned King's volley, true straight volley, and it was incredible incredible. You know, make no mistake, our goal is coming from our back line. We were having so much difficulty being productive and being efficient with our in the final third that I mean it it had to come down to someone from the back line making it happen. So, um that was extremely impressive by King. You mentioned that Flood squared up and was going to make it happen, you know, they really did shut down the forward line. Um, and so this is the way it was going to happen for Phoenix. And it was unfortunate that we didn't get more opportunities, but we really didn't. We saw some substitutions in the 63rd minute. Joey Calistri came off, Aiden Quinn came on, John Beccaro came off, Kevin Lambert came on, Prince Sadie came off, Santi Mora came on, and then the fourth one was Ivan, Ivan Gutierrez come off, came off and Arturo Rodriguez came on. Later on in the match, we saw Joey Farrell come on for Ryan Flood, but none of them were able to, to make any, uh, any difference, any change to the eventual outcome. 
Kelly, we saw a lot of substitutions. The only subs that were not used were Andre Rawls and Darren Maddox. Do you have any thoughts on those substitutions overall? Rick Schentz mentioned in a post-game interview that he really wanted to give some rest to his starting 11. And that's obviously, we've talked about that already. That was clearly what the mentality was with the lineup. Um, Personally, when I look at this match and when I look at the Oakland Roots team, and when we look at our upcoming schedule, I think it was a little bit of an overcorrection. You know, I think it was a little too conservative. I don't know how much rest our players really need. This Oakland Roots side has played a, a Wednesday, Friday, or Wednesday, Saturday game every week in August. So it can be done. And I think we have enough depth on our bench that we could have rotated these players over the subsequent games. Um, and we could have we could have played some of our starting 11 from the start. So when we saw a bunch of them hit the field in the 63rd minute, it was just a really tall order. You know, all of those goals happened starting at the 45th minute. So, you know, it was basically all the goals happened in a 15 minute stretch. And by the time our say first string came on in the 63rd minute, it was a three, one game. And there was a lot of momentum with the Oakland root side. So you know, that's a tall order to ask, especially as they're trying to find their footing. And you've still got, you know, some players out of position on the field. I'm thinking about the back line in, in particular. So um, those substitutions to me were too late. So the lineup was a little bit questionable. And then I think we should have seen the writing on the wall a little bit earlier and maybe started the second half with a freshened up team. That said, as you mentioned, you know, they weren't able to make anything happen. We didn't really see a significant number of shots on goal. We certainly didn't see any goals hitting the back of the net. We did see, obviously, a bit of an improved defensive effort in the sense that no more goals were scored going in the opposite direction either. In terms of Darren Maddox, this is a big question mark for me. Um, I believe Toby Adewale is still on the Phoenix Rising team. He could have been on that bench. And we, you know, we maybe could have substituted a little differently to get our back line back to the back line that has been so successful for, for us and been such an evolution in strength the last couple of matches if we'd had someone like that on our bench. Instead, we had Darren Maddox on our bench who went unused. Could we have used some scoring prowess? Absolutely. So it's a question mark for me as to why he wasn't put on. Rick Shant said he was brought up so that he could be he could continue working on his fitness, continue training with the team in Oakland. Um that's curious to me. Uh, you can train in Phoenix with the rest of the team while the starting team is away um, to, to use a space on the bench for someone that's not going to get minutes is curious, especially when we saw that the team was struggling and substitutions were hopefully going to make a difference. So, so I don't fully understand it, but it's great to orient him. And it certainly is a wonderful reminder that we need him and we need someone that has confidence and that doesn't have sort of this failed momentum or the stalled momentum that we're seeing, you know, that Sacramento game at home is sort of uh, meaningful. We haven't spoken about it, but when we look at that quote unquote slump that Phoenix is in, we, that was our first shutout of the season. Sacramento held us to no goals and we had to be feeling that as we traveled up to Oakland, we really needed to put some momentum into the attack. Just before we close up, Kelly, and we will close out on a positive note, but you mentioned there that Darren Maddox traveled with us. He was on the bench. So why didn't Rick just put him in, score some goals in the last 30 minutes? Rick said he was not planning on playing him, that he isn't fit for a match. Um, I'm fit for a match. So, you know, it's questionable to me that he's not fit for a match for maybe 10 minutes. My, my personal opinion is that the game got a little bit away from us when we made all those substitutions. My suspicion is that he was going to be going in with the rest of the starting lineup that happened in the 63rd minute. That's less than 30 minutes of play. I think he's probably up for it. Even if he hadn't been, we would have still had one substitution left where we could have rotated someone else back on into the front line. Or of course we could have subbed him a little bit later, maybe given him 15 minutes or 20 minutes. I think that to have put him in when we were two goals down, when the momentum was against us, um, maybe wouldn't have made the first impression that Rick Shantz wanted. So if you put Darren Maddox in, you're down by two. You want him to save the day. We think he's been brought to the team to change the attack, to strengthen it, and to be that sort of savior up top. 
I think the order was just way too tall for someone at that point. No one is expected to come in and score three goals to win the game. And I think by putting him in, there was some concern that we would have had a bad first taste. Oh, he couldn't save the day. And so instead, the decision was made to keep him on the bench. That's 100% Kelly McCarthy, possibly a cynic. Um, But that's my guess as to why he didn't get any minutes at all. I like it. I like it. Okay. As promised, we're going to finish it up on a positive note. Who is your man of the match for Phoenix Rising? Oh, King all the way. There you go. Absolutely. (laughs) Kelly McCarthy, you took the words right out of my mouth. Folks, we have a different panel on a different format for the New Mexico game. So don't go away. That's coming up later in this episode. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Yo, 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 what's up, footy fans? This is Hugh Roberts from the Backyard Footy Podcast, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, August 28th, Phoenix Rising hosted New Mexico United in their stadium at Wild Horse Pass. We were treated to five very exciting and maybe emotional goals, with the final score being 3-2 in favor of Phoenix Rising. It was an exciting game with two well-matched teams, both playing fast and attacking hard for the full 90 minutes. I'm joined today by Kelly McCarthy and our special guest, Andy Hageman from ESPN Albuquerque that everyone in New Mexico knows as 101.7 FM, The Team. Fans were vocal at last night's game. David Carl, who's with the New Mexico uh, supporters group, The Curse, He tweeted, a loss is never fun, but the men of New Mexico United play their absolute hearts out last night, and we should be proud of that incredible effort. On the Phoenix side, there was a similar sentiment as we saw coach Rick Chance getting very emotional and close to tears in a post-match interview talking of how proud he was of the team. So Kelly, let's start with you. Were you proud of our boys' performance last night? Oh, I was so proud of them. This was an exceptional, exceptional fun game. This was a game that had everything. You could feel that old rivalry coming back. There was speed, physicality, lots of emotions. We had fights. We don't often have fights. Lots of teamwork. There was skill and even an own goal. So yeah, I was really proud of them. There was a lot to contend with. It was really exciting and it was great to see some New Mexico fans here. So much to talk about. Such an awesome game. Andy, over to you. Opening thoughts. Well, I thought United did very well in the first half and obviously we probably shared the spoils, although we had a 1-0 lead going into the halftime break. But I thought the second half, United started a little bit slowly and Phoenix Rising were were right there to mop up any uh, loose balls. And there were plenty of those in the turnover department for United. But, uh, you know, all in all, I was happy with the effort. And I thought for half the game, we looked like we, we had some form of, you know, advantage. But as the second half wore on, you could just see United being worn down. Okay, guys, let's talk through the game. It was a quick start to the game. Lots of attacking on both sides. New Mexico were the first to get on the scoreboard and it was early in the game. It was in the 11th minute. New Mexico were holding possession in Phoenix territory on the right side of the park. After some back and forth passing, we saw midfielder Midfielder Andrew Tenari passed the ball forward to Chris Wien, who came to the ball, drawing defenders with him. Being the talented player that he is, he treated his fans with a beautiful creative play by simply hopping over the ball, allowing it to run onto his teammate Sergio Rivas, who got the ball outside the 18-yard box. He took a few steps and blasted the ball past the goalie, Andrew Rawls. Wow. Andy, New Mexico just got Chris Wien back into their squad, a mid-season transfer from Orange County, and are already seeing the returns on that investment. You have to be happy with that investment and with what you saw in the first 10 to 15 minutes from New Mexico. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Chris Wien is well known to the United setup. He was our second all-time leading scorer before he left for Orange County. Tremendous talent, scored some great goals, and it was his you know, innovative dummy to uh, put the ball in the path of Rivas, who made no mistakes slotting home. Absolutely. And there was a lot of action in the first half. Leading up to halftime, we saw beautiful combination play from New Mexico with quality shots on goal. But the pressure was there on the Phoenix side too. 
All three of our forwards had attempts on goal, and we thought we had a goal from a corner when we saw Joey Farrell go up for the header, and we had a blaster from Arturo Rodriguez, but it wasn't meant to be. The New Mexico goalie, Alex Tambacus, was on his game. He was unbeatable in that first half. We saw a lot of action, rough fouls in the box on Santi Moore, which led to the Phoenix fans calling for penalties. There was a lot of physical play all around, which lit a fire under supporters in the stadium on both sides. We went into the tunnel at halftime, New Mexico up 1-0. Kelly, how did you enjoy that first half? And did you have confidence that Rising would be able to come back? I did. And I'll tell you what, I enjoyed that first half absolutely immensely. Now, Rising fans know that when we concede a goal first, we don't win. That's the statistic on the season. So, you know, that's a really dangerous place to be, especially starting, you know, in the 12th minute of the game to concede a goal. That said, this was a really, really exciting thing that happened with Phoenix Rising. We were playing a team that looked exceptional. New Mexico looked awesome. And instead of kind of bowing to the pressure, which we've seen Phoenix do, instead of seeing them play very defensively, they really rose up. New Mexico helped us lift our game. I just, I can't say anything more than that. I think we saw what they were doing, the creativity of their attack. And we really kind of mirrored that, you know, this game I feel like we had a lot to prove. Obviously, we wanted to hold ourselves to not being beaten in our stadium this season. We know New Mexico needs the, needs those points. It was coming out super strong, and we really rose up. The attack was creative. The defense was strong. So I was really disheartened that we were down a point, or excuse me, down a goal, but I did feel like we could come back. Things were really clicking. We were very composed in the final third, and uh of the field as well as in our defense. So we looked amazing. We were playing amazing. It was physical and we were up to the challenge. So to be honest with you, um, I felt really great. I felt good going into, into that tunnel. And just to be clear, I didn't go into the tunnel. I'm not on the team. Andy, you may not have seen it. I'm sure. I don't know if they talked about it in the broadcast, but there were some handbags in the tunnel. There was some scuffling going on. We weren't able to see it, but we saw people rush in there from both sides. Um, was that mentioned in the broadcast at all? No, and it wasn't something that we saw. Uh, Adam and I were you know, fixated on the, uh, the score and we were talking through the uh, halftime break about the highlights of the half and obviously we were we looked like we were sitting pretty but one has to remember that United have given up leads seven times already this season and in in the opposite form of Kelly's thoughts it was a case of when not if United would give up the lead it's just something that has happened in 2021 can't fully put my finger on it I know we were without Caelan Ryden for the last three games but you know when we went in 1-0, I was happy, but in the back of my mind, it was a case of when is it going, things are going to change. And I thought, because Phoenix came out the second half very explosively, that might have been a team talk, but then it might have been for something that happened in the tunnel. You never know what inspires players to react. Sure. Coming out in the second half, we were treated to a lot of exciting play on the Phoenix side. In the 59th minute, New Mexico were attacking, but Phoenix intercepted and very quickly went on the counter. Moore got the ball on the Phoenix half of the pitch. He put on the afterburners and sprinted towards the New Mexico goal with the ball glued to his feet. He passed the ball to Aiden Quinn, who was on Moore's left side. Aiden got the ball just inside the big box, and with a beautiful first touch, he passed the ball to the opposite side where Calistri was waiting, had a beautiful <laughs> first touch, and expertly directed the ball low and hard into the bottom left corner of the goal. Kelly, how did you like that? I loved it. It was really exciting. It was obviously a beautiful goal. And it also represented a couple of things. Really, everything you just described was a change from our last game and something that we've been needing to work on. Starting with Santi Mower, using the space in front of him, a good first touch and traveling quickly with the ball. We just haven't seen that from him or from any of our forwards recently. He passed it to Quinn, who was on fire in the second half. Really smart, really great with distribution. And the key is clutch Calistri. We've seen Phoenix Rising players waiting for the perfect pass. Admittedly, this was it, but taking too many touches, not knowing when to pass versus when to strike. Kalistri knew it was, I don't want to say wide open, but we had a beautiful angle on it. And I mean, it was there. The shot was available. He didn't delay. He took it and it was a perfect finish. Finally, it's not ballooning over the net. So 
it was it was clinical. It was wonderful. I love that was a Phoenix intercepting a play from New Mexico. So Phoenix are known for the counterattack and New Mexico just didn't seem like they had the bodies back in time for that counterattack. Any thoughts on that play? Well, you see, we've seen some pretty cute training ground moves from set plays, free kicks and corners this year. And early in the season, they were coming off. But of late, as I think the confidence has started to wane a little bit. You'll know that we were only about 10 yards outside the Phoenix box when uh, we tried a cute play that was intercepted. And the sheer speed of the Phoenix counter caught United with fewer numbers at the back than they needed. And of course, excellently put away by Calistri. And it was, you know, my heart sank because, you know, if you've lost the lead between sort of six and nine times in a season and you're only halfway through, you know that that's been a problem. And so... Uh, you know, that really did take a bit of steam out of United, I felt. The next goal was a Phoenix goal, putting Phoenix up 2-1. It was on the 66th minute. Rodriguez was advancing toward goal. He had options, but he didn't make it happen. He literally gave the ball to New Mexico. They should have cleared the ball, but in an attempt to maintain possession under pressure, they had a very bad giveaway to Rising's Joey Calistri. Again, on the right side of the field, just yards outside of the 18-yard box. He composed himself, head down, knew exactly what he was doing. The ball is again in the bottom left corner of the New Mexico goal. Kelly, very similar to that first attempt. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this actually is an opportunity to talk about some of the link-ups that we had last night. Calistri and Rodriguez, while this wasn't necessarily an intentional play, they were playing really well together. It was exciting to see Calistri in a position where he's comfortable, which is in that striking, you know, that right forward position. Rodriguez was on fire in the second half. He stuck with it. He lost that ball, but then he got back in and disrupted the intended play by New Mexico. So he really stuck with it. And once again, you you know, Calistri knows when to take the shot. He also loves to hammer that ball in playing New Mexico. I think this was his fourth goal in the last three games against New Mexico. So um, I think Rick Schentz called him like the most hated man in New <laughs> Mexico, which probably isn't true, but it's fun to say. So yeah, I mean, once again, it was just the composure by Calistri. Love that bottom left-hand corner of the net. And I just want to give a shout out to Rodriguez for sticking with it. He really um, instigated a lot on the field for Phoenix last night. And I'm going to fast forward to the next goal, which was a New Mexico goal in the 80th minute. New Mexico, they're close to the touchline on the left side, a beautiful and dangerous cross into the box. Our goalie, Andre Rawls, he does one of these Superman punches, stretched out to meet the ball, punch it away, but to the dismay of Phoenix fans and to the astonishment of all, the ball deflects off of James Musa and bounces back into the Phoenix goal. There's hope for you guys again. Yes, and just want to quickly just mention something that Kelly said about the most hated man in New Mexico. I can tell you that whilst Joey Calistri is high on the list, he doesn't <laughs> rank any higher than number 24 for El Paso Yuma, who is wild oh. here in New Mexico for all things long-haired to feigning injury to being a little more lippy than normal. But anyway, so yeah, that was a, that was a little bit of hope for United, but uh, you know, Again, with the, with the second goal that we, you're the, sorry, you're the second goal in the 66th minute, Juan Pablo Guzman played a blind uh, pass to somebody that wasn't wearing a yellow shirt and Calistri right. dispatched it. But when we got up the other end and the ball came off, Musa, I just thought, you know, there's a chance here that we're going to tie the record for the sixth consecutive tie in USL history. But sadly, uh, we didn't keep the ball in the last 10 minutes and so it didn't work out too well for us. Right. And that brings us to the final minutes of the game. You know what, Niall, may I interject on that really quickly? This isn't really per se germane to the goal exactly, but, you know, Phoenix Rising did not have a lot of clearances on the evening. And I think that's one thing, you know, this was a wonderful game for us. I think we showed a lot in all parts of the field, but, you know, we are still making some interesting choices playing out of the back. You know, there are times when New Mexico is really pressing hard and high and we just weren't honoring that enough, starting with Andre Rolls and some of the people in our back line. So, you know, this wasn't necessarily that opportunity to clear, but I just want to take this time to say that, you know, we didn't have enough clearances. We were doing a lot of passing as we like to, but there's time and place. Sometimes you need to just get that ball out of there. And I think, you know, that was one thing that could have been improved on the Phoenix side last evening. I agree. 
So coming into the final minutes of the game, the score is 2-0. The excitement is through the roof as we um, as we lead towards the final whistle. New Mexico supporters are loud. Rising supporters are loud. It's anyone's game. Both teams are still hungry for the three points. The goal came in the 90th minute from Santi Moore. From the center field, Aiden Quinn passed the ball forward to Moore, who was on the right side of the pitch. It's one step from Moore. It's two steps from Moore. It's a rocket from Moore. It's a goal from Santi Moore. Phoenix are up 3-2. There's no coming back for that from that for New Mexico. Sure. Well, that was really exciting. And once again, you hear the distribution coming from Quinn. He, like I said, really came alive in the second half. He was such a team player. He was energetic and he was certainly smart with his passing. One thing I think we should note is that, you know, Prince Sadie, we'll talk about the substitutions, but Prince Sadie had been put in and he and Santi Moore switched sides. So Santi's now playing on the right. This is something I'd like to see more from him on occasion when he's having a game and he's having a hard time finishing, you know, he'll switch over, but he is naturally right-footed. We see him on the left side of the field. We see him cutting in to move to his right foot. It's a move that's gotten a little bit stale that defenses are watching out for that just hasn't been productive in the last couple of games. Now that, I guess that left back, I don't know what was going on with him because all these goals came from the same area of the pitch. Santi Moore knew that he took advantage of it. And thank goodness he put his head down. It was absolutely beautiful. I had actually forgotten that Santi Moore did plenty of this to us when he was playing for New Mexico. So that wasn't something that I had kept my eye on all evening, but that's fun to think about, of course, that he's kind of sticking it to the old team and we're so happy to have him with us. Yeah, absolutely. Any comments on that, Andy? Well, it's interesting because when I started my commentary with United at the beginning of the 2020 season, I dubbed uh, Santi with the moniker Santi No More because he was no longer a United player and we, we, we didn't need to talk about him anymore. But I will say last night, you know, he was on his game all night long and you could just see it was, it was you know, his, a lot of his movement, a lot of his effort brought, you know, Phoenix's possession and goals and so we really need to change it. Santi, please no more, because, you know, broke United's hearts. I mean, a 2-2 wouldn't have been a disaster. Um, but you see, we lost our confidence in, in early July with three away games in eight days when we had the lead in all three of them and gave it up to lose all three games. Haven't really gotten back to that. But, you know, again last night, we proved that we can go toe-to-toe with the bigger teams like El Paso and Phoenix Rising. But the difficulty comes, those just those moments when you play those cute little flicks and those fancy moves, when you're not full of confidence, they don't go as well as they do on the training ground. And two of the three goals were avoidable for United last night. And uh, in, in the 90th minute, Azira in the centre circle failed to control the ball and Phoenix were onto it like a shot and countered and uh, broke the hearts of the travelling United fans it's been the story of our season, sadly. We've been able to go into Leeds and dominate teams, but gradually let them back into the games. Uh, and I'm not saying that Phoenix were ever out of the game last night. It was a very entertaining, very, very entertaining battle. But really, the second half, Phoenix really uh, put the pressure on United and it told and we came out second best. Let's take a look at the lineup. Uh, between the sticks, you had Alex Tambakis, and then on the back line, you had Rashid Teta. Uh, on the right side, on the left side, you had Austin Yearwood, and um, your centre back was Justin Schmidt. As you're looking out from goal, on the right side would have been Santi Moore, and on the left side was Joey Calistri, and David Egbo was coming down the middle. So, how did your back line do against those attackers? Well, it's very difficult because Caelan Ryden, who was out injured for the last three or four games, uh, we we kind of feel like he's one of the best centre-backs in the USL, if not the best. But with him out injured, Schmidt came in, didn't play a lot in 2020. I think he played one game with a foot injury. But uh, that back line has been relatively solid, but it did seem to get overrun very, very occasionally last night. And so... You know, I don't think they, they they held their own. There's a lot of talk on social media that United should have gone to a back four. Um, I'm not sure. The only time I've seen them do that didn't work out too well. But you see, you're playing against a team with, with you know, quick uh, counter-attackers. It's a bit like the Colorado switchbacks have got a front line very similar to Phoenix's. And so you know your work's going to be cut out. So that means your wing-backs, Najem and Suggs, 
kind of needed to help out a little bit more, but we were caught too often on the break. Continuing with the, those midfielders, in addition to Najib and Suggs, you had Andrew Tenari and Guzman. And in our midfield, Kelly, we had Aidan Quinn, we had Kevin Lambert, we had Rodriguez. So who won the battle for midfield? Uh, that's a tough call. I I, I lean towards Phoenix Rising. Um, you know, they were really incredible on the evening. Aiden Quinn, as I mentioned, came alive in that second half. The distribution was awesome. It was nice to have Kevin Lambert back. You know, we were fantastic in the air. I think we had a, I didn't, don't have it written down, forgive me, but a high percentage winning of those aerial duels that often happen in the midfield. Um, Arturo Rodriguez was incredibly energetic. He really lifted that midfield. Um, And I think, you know, as Andy was saying, a lot of our attack came up the right side, up that right flank a little bit. And I think Guzman wasn't involved enough in in the defense as they could have been. So I can't really answer that question. I can just say that our midfield was was really clicking both with each other as well as our front line. And I think part of that, you know, just to lend a little context around this as well, you know, we talked about Phoenix being unbeaten at home. We talked about um, maybe being in a little bit of an offensive slump and of course having that rivalry with New Mexico. Another factor is, you know, we had a game on Wednesday where many of our of our starting 11 sat. Um, They didn't start, they came in at the 70th minute or something. And I think, you know, that's a part of this game as well is just feeling like when you sit on that bench and you watch your team lose, it's incredibly motivating. And I think we saw that, especially with our midfielders really coming out there and kind of just making up that lost time, trying to pick up those points. That is uh, long-winded and didn't quite answer your question. (laughs) Forgive me, maybe Andy will do better. Andy, what are your thoughts on the midfield? Well, you see, in our pairing of Tanari and Guzman, they've been our engine room for, you know, a couple of years now. It's normally one or t'other that gets a yellow card, if not both. And, you know, yesterday it was JPG Guzman who got it in the 34th minute. And I knew that that was a worry. But uh, to be honest with you, you know, they've performed pretty well. But I thought last night we gave away possession too easily. And, you know, as I mentioned in the 66th minute when... Uh, JPG, as in Juan Pablo Guzman, uh, gave the ball up on the edge of the penalty area and Calistri punished him instantly. I mean, it kind of, I kind of shrugged my shoulders as if to say, you just can't play blind passes just outside your penalty area. I'm a bigger fan of number 23, Michael Azira, who came on the, in the 67th minute for JPG. But you know what, armchair coaches are like, you know, we think we know everything. And <laughs> I think he's a better player in the middle of the park than Guzman has become in the last few games. I think Guzman's performances have dipped a little bit. So I would give the, the midfield performance reluctantly and begrudgingly to Phoenix. Looking forward, your three attackers, Chris Weehan, Devin Sandoval and Sergio Rivas were up against our four on the back line. Tate Schmidt was on the left, Darnell King was on the right and our two centre Backs were uh, James Musa and Joey Farrell. Of course, Andre Rolls was in goal. How did our back line do last night, Kelly? They were wonderful. I just want to start there. I thought they played great. I thought they clicked together. You know, of course, it's unfortunate with that own goal. That was kind of inevitable. Those things happen. But, you know, that said, we could have been even better. We can always be even better. There are a couple of things I think we should tighten up on. One, too many passes in our box. And, you know, when you have a, a Sandoval and a Weehan who were just on fire, working so well together, very creative, you know, that dummy that Weehan pulled, you know, that's the type of player that he is. Um, I, from the stands, was yelling, go back to OC, which I wasn't even sure was an insult, but I was just trying to bring him down. I mean, he's a great player. And that takes just a lot from the back line. We did pretty well to contain him, but I would like to see more man marking inside our 18. I mean, I just think we need it. And that's an example of that. You can't let players that are that um, threatening loose in the box. So we were great. And I want to give full credit, certainly to our back line. But, you know, if, if we could tighten up, that's where it would be for me. Any comments on the final third of the pitch there, Andy? Well, we badly needed Chris Wiegand to come back from Orange County. And, you know, he scored four goals there and scored one on his return. Uh, we've been a bit, we've been firing blanks up front. We had four or five games when we either scored one or zero goals. And, you know, we've been spreading the goals around the team. We haven't got an out and out, you know, goal scorer. Whilst Sandoval has been the number nine and most popular with it for a long, long time, um, he's not prolific. And so, you know, we don't have a Haji Barry, for example, or either of a Solomon Asante or uh, Santi no more. But, um, you know, we struggled up front and finding that <laughs> formula 
has been very difficult. And we also had Illich injured for last night. So I thought the forward line, I mean, we scored two goals away from home at one of the top teams in the USL. So it can't be all that bad. But, you know, all in all, I think the, the, the Phoenix really, their second half performance, whether that be the coaching talk from chance at half time or whether it was the scuffle in the in the tunnel, uh, Phoenix came out with a point to prove in the second half and did so. So we didn't really get as many opportunities, I didn't think, in the second half as we did in the first half. They did just want to mention the performance of David Egbo. You know, he's had a rough uh, couple of games. He's gotten some slack and he obviously didn't get on the score sheet last night. But I did want to mention, I thought he did a really great job drawing defenders to him and his movement off the ball. Um, he also played a lot of defense. He came and made some steals. Um, so, you know, I just, I know we will talk about with our substitutions, the acquisition of Maddox and his play. But I just want to say, I think David Egbo did a great job. And without putting one in the back of the net, which is his true job, he really did provide some distraction um, and, you know, some confusion in that final third, which is really important if you're not going to score. So kudos to him. Kelly, I'm going to stick with you to talk about the subs. There were four substitutions, really last minute substitutions, Ryan Flood and Manuel Madrid. But earlier on, we saw Prince Sadie come in. And of course, we saw Darren Maddox come in at the 74th minute for David Agbo. So your thoughts on those substitutions and especially want to hear what you think about Darren Maddox. Not too much to say, like you said, Ryan Flood came in with very little time left in the game. Uh, same with Manuel Madrid, but we obviously wanted to have more of a defensive shape and hold on to um, the lead maybe at that point, or certainly uh, make sure we didn't concede any more goals. In terms of Prince Sadie, it's nice to have fresh legs and he's very fast. Um, he adds, you know, something down the left side that Santi Moura wasn't really doing and it allowed for Santi to move over to the right side and use that powerful right foot to score a goal. So that was really a great move on the manager's choice. I, I wanted to leave Calistri in to see if we could get that hat trick, but as always, Rick knows better than I do. And it was a smart substitution. In terms of Derek Maddox, how awesome was it to see him? I mean, he ran onto that field and I just felt the presence of a really amazing player. And maybe that's because I wanted to, but you know, he's just got the fitness level that apparently we didn't see last game because we didn't play him, but he looked really fit. He looked really fast. He just operated like a number nine. He had, I think two touches, both were shots on goal. That's exactly what we need. We need to increase our scoring prowess. We need someone who's confident up top and he looked amazing. I was so happy to see him. The crowd seemed to know that we had acquired someone special and, you know, it was a wonderful debut for him. I'm sorry he didn't score, but you really can't ask for much more than two shots on goal and pretty good shots at that. Andy, over to talk about your subs. Your substitutions happened halfway through the second half. We saw Azira come on, Moreno come on, Raiden come on, and Martinez. How did they do? Did they make a difference? Were you expecting more? Well, I was a little surprised to see Moreno on the bench. He's just been called up by El Salvador, so we'll lose him for a couple of weeks. But uh, Kalen Raiden is only just coming back off an injury. To see him in the 67th minute was heartening. Um, Michael Azira, Ugandan, 33-year-old, tons of experience. I always think he looks like he's got a lot of time on the ball, but it was actually his error in the 90th minute when the ball kind of wasn't perfectly pulled under his spell and his control and United, uh, sorry, Phoenix broke and scored the winner. But, you know, in terms of the United substitutions, it was more about who was coming off than who was coming on, I felt, because Juan Pablo Guzman, after giving up the... Uh, the ball for Calistri's second did so, did again about a few seconds later, gave up the ball. So I wasn't surprised to see him get yanked. Um, there are, Suggs was, you know, had a bit of a temperament issue. I thought the, the red mist had descended after a bit of a midfield melee. So I didn't think the substitutions did any harm to United, but I don't think it had the desired effect. The difficulty is we're very short up front. As I say, Brian Brown has been traded for Sally Mohammed with Oakland. And that leaves the only fit striker, really, the number nine being Sandoval. And so Wigan and Rivas playing outside of him or Moreno, if that's the case. It's, it's like, you know, in preseason, we had a very good preseason, beat a lot of sides, scored a lot of goals. And early in the season, for example, we beat the switchbacks 3-1 and we beat them 4-1 in preseason. Now it's them that are scoring four and us that are struggling to hit the net. So, um United aren't having the best of seasons on the basis that they're not getting the results. They've put in some great performances, 
but they'll perform beautifully for 95 minutes and concede in the 96. That's just the way it's going in 21 for United. Andy and Kelly, I really enjoyed our chat. Let's wrap it up with some closing comments. Kelly, over to you first for some closing comments. Yeah, this was such a fun game. This was such an exciting game. I mean, this was the first game in a while I felt like someone had reminded Phoenix Rising that they were Phoenix Rising. They came out really strong and powerfully. The attack was the central point of the game. And this is the first time, as I mentioned, that we were able to come back from conceding a goal first. I think that's a mental a mental win that we really needed that's going to serve us as we move into the second half of the season. There's been some discussion, did, did Phoenix peak early? And, you know, I really think this is when we turn around, turn up that attack and, you know, show the entire field that we are just getting started. And hopefully Maddox is going to be a part of that, which I'm really looking forward to seeing him the rest of the season. So it was just a fun game. I mean, I'm surprised I got to sleep last night. I was so jazzed up about it. So <laughs> go rising. All right, over to you, Andy, for some closing comments. And also take a look into that crystal ball of yours and tell us if we're going to see New Mexico United in the playoffs. Well, there's been a great debate about the playoff question. Many have called me pessimistic because there's still 12 games for United to get in the playoff spots. We're only a few points away from the playoff spots. But as I keep mentioning, you could be 150 games away from the end of the season. But if you're not winning and you're losing or tying games, you're not making up any ground. And so for United to make the playoffs, there's going to have to be a change in fortunes. Um, We do appear to be able to go toe-to-toe with the likes of Phoenix and El Paso, but we haven't come out on top, and that's been the story of our season. Uh, Ifs and ands, we would say, in England. And, you know, for United to be able to compete but not complete a victory since Mm -hmm. July the 12th, tells you everything about our playoff hopes, in my opinion. But you know how it is? Winning and losing is a habit. So is goal scoring. And, you know, it just needs a spark, something to change. I think United, deep down, are suffering from a little bit of confidence anxiety. And Phoenix exposed that last night. It was a good, great, it was a great game. I thought great game to watch if you were a neutral. For a United fan, it was the same old, same old. We went into the league. We looked not comfortable, but happy at halftime. But the second half, we weren't able to up our game to match Phoenix's. Thank you, Andy. Phoenix Rising is playing away the next two weeks, playing Tacoma Defiance and Los Dos. The boys return on Wednesday, September 15th to take on Las Vegas Lights FC, followed by a Saturday home game against Orange County. Phoenix Rising family, stay with us while we take a look at the league highlights and standings. It's been great. Andy Hageman, sportscaster from ESPN Albuquerque. On behalf of everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Your contributions and insights are truly valued by the community. Thanks again for having me. Kelly, it's always great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks. Fantastic. This is Niall Dunn, defender with Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to the Fan Experience. Hello, USL Championship League fans. This is Kelly McCarthy, and I'm so excited to talk to you about the Championship League standings as we close out a brilliant Week 19. Let's look at the Western Conference, starting with the Pacific Division. Phoenix Rising remains on top of the table with 41 points and is tied with the El Paso Locomotives from the Mountain Division in terms of the most points in the league. Phoenix had two games this week, and their loss on Wednesday, August 25th to the Oakland Roots seemed to serve as the wake-up call they needed to reinvigorate their attack and re-energize their team play. They roared back into Wild Horse Pass on Saturday, August 28th with a fantastic win against New Mexico United. This was an interdivisional game and the revival of a passionate rivalry against the two sides. Joey Clutch Calistri doubled down on his nickname and his goal scoring, and Phoenix came out with a 3-2 win despite an own goal. New Mexico had Chris Weehan in their starting lineup, and Pacific Division fans know he was recently acquired from Orange County FC, who lost him and their coach in Week 18. Orange County are still sitting second in the Pacific Division tables, however, and have 30 points on this season, 11 points behind Phoenix Rising. OC Drew against Charleston Battery, who are sitting at number four in the Atlantic Division. The last time those two teams clashed was in 2014, and apparently the result was the same then, nil-nil. 
San Diego are in third place with the same number of points as OC, 30, after picking up three points against Sacramento Republic. Rounding out the Pacific Division table is Tacoma Defiance, who broke their eight-game unbeaten streak with a loss to the Oakland Roots. Watch out, Pacific Division. The Oakland Roots are out of last place and are on a great run of form and are taking down top teams in their race for a playoff spot. Big news coming out of the Western Conference's Mountain Division in Week 19. The El Paso locomotives were finally forced off the track after an impressive 10-game unbeaten run. They're still top of the pops with 41 points, but they lost to number 4 San Antonio FC on Saturday, August 28th. The winning goal was scored at the death by Justin Dillon. Those late goals always hurt. El Paso may have been derailed in the evening, but they're still nine points out in front of the Colorado Switchbacks, who are experiencing a lovely run of form of their own, and who did a number on Austin Bolt this weekend, beating them four to one. For those of you who are paying attention, and we all should be, the USL's leading goal scorer, Haji Berry, who plays for Colorado, now has 20 goals in 20 games. He must be having the time of his life, and it's great to celebrate someone experiencing so much success. Long may it last. Rio Grande Valley are holding on to third place, barely after losing to OKC Energy this weekend in an interconference game that added one more to their streak, which is five games without a win for Rio Grande Valley. Finally, and as previously mentioned, San Antonio FC are in fourth place with 27 points after taking down the Giants of the Mountain Division. Looking at the Eastern Conference's Atlantic Division, things have changed, y'all. This is the result of a very competitive division comprised of well-matched teams. With teams playing condensed schedules, the standings are likely to continue changing, especially as we're seeing teams matching up for the third and fourth time on the season. So the Tampa Bay Rowdies are back on top after a few weeks sitting at either second or third in their table. They picked up six points in week 19, and this puts them on top with 40 points. The Pittsburgh Riverhounds are nipping at their heels with the same number of points, 40, but having played two additional games. So I said the Pittsburgh Riverhounds are nipping at their heels, kind of thinking that was clever, but it has me thinking, what is a Riverhound? Do they nip? Anyway, the Miami FC are in third place with 37 points after a commanding win over the New York Red Bulls 2 on Sunday, August 29th. Nine points behind with 28 points are this Charleston Battery, who we talked about earlier because they drew this week with Orange County. The Central Division is more proof of how competitive these regional divisions are. Louisville City FC are still on top of their table with 40 points, but they also suffered a loss in Week 19, ending their eight-game unbeaten streak. Who'd they lose to? Number two, Birmingham Legion FC. That win by Birmingham closes the gap between them and Lou City to four points. Both teams have some serious goal scorers on their sides, and Birmingham's Nico Brett put in his 12th goal of the season to help his team defeat Lou City 2-1. FC Tulsa are five points back in third place with 31 points. So in fourth place in the Central Division is Indy 11, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time they've crossed into the top of the table. A couple of interesting items of note about Indy. They play a 3-4-3, and their starting center back is Phoenix Rising's old friend AJ Cochran, who was a solid presence in Phoenix Rising's back line, often paired with Joey Farrell in the 2019 and 2020 seasons. The middle of the pack is pretty tight in the Central Division, and Indy managed to cross the line by picking up four points in Week 19. They drew midweek with Sporting Kansas City, who are last in their division, and then they beat the Real Salt Lake City Monarchs on Saturday, August 28th. That was an interconference clash as the Monarchs are in the Mountain Division and they are sitting squarely last in that division. Not to confuse things, but speaking of last place teams, Indy 11 lost and lost big to Loudoun United a few weeks ago. And that team is sitting decisively in last place in the Atlantic Division 
and is last in the league. So Indy 11 seems to be struggling with consistency, but we'll keep an eye on them and certainly wish them and AJ Conkren the very best. At least until they play Phoenix Rising, our well wishes do not extend that far. Thanks for joining me to catch up on the standings. Remember to subscribe to the Fan Experience Podcast to ensure you get your weekly standings. Nancy Shattuck with Los Bandidos, and you are listening to the Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, it's hard to believe that we're done with our games for the month of August. We had six games in August, three home and three away. Of those matches, we had two wins, one loss and three draws. Not the best month for us as we only picked up nine points, but at least we're still unbeaten at home. Looking into September, we have another six games, four away and just two at home. All of our away games are against Tacoma Defiance and Los Dos, as we play each of them twice. Our home games are against Orange County and Las Vegas Lights. Unfortunately, it's not a good month for us to travel to away games. Tacoma is pretty far for a weekend trip, and Los Dos isn't selling tickets to their games, which are being played at the main LA Galaxy Stadium. Let's take a look at our next game. Our first game of the month, which takes our boys to Washington State, just south of Seattle to take on Tacoma Defiance. Defiance play in Cheney Stadium, which is a baseball stadium, a minor league baseball stadium. It doubles as a soccer field for Tacoma Defiance. This is the second time that Rising play Tacoma this season. The teams first met on June 12th and Rising beat them easily 3-0. played Tacoma seven times since we rebranded in 2017. The first four games ended with Rising winning 1-0, but the last three games we've done even better. 4-0, 4-2 and 3-0. So, if history was predictive of future events, all money would be on Rising. Sadly, to get an indication of how we might do in this next game, we have to look at a few other factors that don't look so bright for Rising. As far as form is concerned, Tacoma Defiance, who are fourth in the standings, have won three of their last five games. Rising have only won one of their last five games. Tacoma are unbeaten at home with a 62% win rate, and when Rising are on the road, we only have a 44% win rate. One more thing, Tacoma Defiance recently beat Orange County 3-0 in Orange County, and they beat San Diego Loyal 2-1 in San Diego. Impressive by any standards. So who's gonna win? Rising are gonna win, but it won't be easy. Tacoma Defiance are known as a young, well-coached team, but as always, my money is on Rising. I'm sure that our boys will go up there with renewed energy from our win over New Mexico and will beat Tacoma Defiance 4-0. That's a wrap, Phoenix Rising family. Thank you for listening, and thanks to our guests, Andy Hageman and Kelly McCarthy. Until next week, go Rising! <laughs> <laughs>